in the text today, I believe that Jesus is traveling from one place to another. The Bible says that he's on his way to Jerusalem, the motherland, the holy land, uh, the place of Mecca where everything happens, all the Jews goes to meet. And he's caught between a place that the Bible says is Samaria, which we know as the Samaritan. These people had a so-called relationship with God, but Jesus has said over and over in the text, they don't even really know God. They don't know where to worship God. They don't know how to worship God. There has been a divide in the country. Israel has separated, and so therefore there's one one group that calls themselves the Samaritans, and then there's the other group, the Jews, that are here in Galilee. We know a lot about Galilee. Most of the New Testament, the Gospels, write about Galilee. Why? Because Jesus spent most of his ministry doing things in Galilee. And so we see that here it is, Jesus is caught in a place between a place where God is not very much known and a place where everybody has seen the miracles that God has done. The Bible calls this place a little village. There's a little village that is on the border of Samaria and Galilee. I don't know about you, but the worst place to be is in a place where you don't know where you belong. Imagine Samaria being somewhat like Texarkana. It's right on the border between Texas and Arkansas. And when you look at it, on both sides, there's a Texarkana. There's a Texarkana, Texas. There's a Texarkana, Arkansas. They're caught on the border of two different states. And as a result of it, sometimes if they didn't know, if you didn't specify which state you're from, your identity could be confused. This is where these people were in this village. They were in this place. But there was a reason why they're in this village, and we're going to get to that in the text. But before we get to that text, I want to show you there's three things that I'm, I'm hoping that you identify within the text. These three things are simple. I want you to understand that when you're looking for where you're supposed to be going, when you're looking for how do you get to your next destination, when you're trying to identify where you come from, you have to understand three simple things. I need to start, number one, my location, number two, my lifestyle, and number three, what am I longing for? Number one, my location, where am I at? now. Number two, my lifestyle. What am I doing? How am I living? And number three, what do I truly desire? This is what the text shows us. And as we look into the text, I want you to see three things that happen. Let's start with the first thing, our location. Looking at Luke chapter 17, it gives us the, the, the first three verses. And this is what it says. Put it on the screen for me, Cam. It says this. It says, while he was on the way to Jerusalem, we've already talked about that, he was passing between Samaria and Galilee. And notice the text says, and he entered a village. The text identifies the location of where Jesus is, and that's very important because we, we can have to understand the history of these two places. I just told you the history of the divide, the war, the separation, King Solomon, things falling apart, and people saying, the northern district saying that, hey, we're going to do things our way. The southern district saying, we're going to do things our way, and so therefore, we're going to separate. In other words, the United States says, we don't want to fool with the South no more. So the North is going to be the North. The South is going to be the South. That's what happened. And so here it is that these people, these outcasts, or finding themselves, they somehow have made a village in between. Neither Samaria nor Galilee wants to claim this village. There's a reason that they don't want to claim this village, and so that's why we have to move from just understanding our location to the next principle of understanding our lifestyle, because the next verse tells us, in that same verse it says, as he entered the village, then it goes what? Ten leopard men who stood at a distance met him. 
That begins to determine their lifestyle. See, if you don't know the history of leprosy in the Bible, when you had leprosy, you were cast out. You were not allowed to live with your friends and family. You were not allowed to be in the community. You had to go far, far away. Your body was blistered, boils, sores. You looked hideous. You, they didn't understand. It was as if you had been cursed with a curse. And so you had to put yourself out away from the people, never to have any fellowship, never to have any friends, just to be in this place. And, and in this place, uh, you had to stay there until you became clean, purified. And the Bible says upon the Levitic covenant is that, that you had to go back and show yourself to the priest to prove that you were clean so that you can be accepted back in the community. So here it is, a village in between Galilee and in between uh, uh, Samaritan is a village of ten lepers. Ten leopards, so people who have the same problem, people who are going through the same thing, they somehow, because they don't fit in one place or the other, they made themselves a home where they feel safe. How many times in your life are you going through things, you're struggling with things, you, you, you have not yet overcome them, and because of the fact that you're struggling with them, instead of finding somebody that can help pull you out, you just find somebody that's dealing with the same problem. You know why we do that? We do that because if you jacked up and I'm jacked up, you can't say nothing about me. You can't put me down. And so what it does, it allows us to feel good about ourselves in the midst of our burdens. It allows us to feel good about ourselves in the midst of whatever it is that we're going through. And so here in the text, you have these people who have established this village in between two locations. They are ten leopards. And the Bible says, and they raise their voice, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on me. We've specified the location. We've specified the lifestyle. Now we have to specify what are they longing for. Jesus, have mercy on me. They know who Jesus is. They know what Jesus is capable of. And as a result of it, they're praying that he has mercy on them. Why? Why? Because obviously they've done something wrong. Mercy is applied to the pretense that I've done something wrong, and as a result of what I've done something wrong, I need you to be willing to forgive me, to give me a second chance. Have mercy on me. I, I may not deserve it, but I need you to have mercy on me. This is the cry. This is what they're longing for. They're asking them, Jesus, in other words, fix me. Everything that's broken about me, everything that's jacked up about me, things that's not working right within me. Lord, I need you in this point in my life to fix me. Today, the journey that I wanted us to take today is a journey to understand how to reach the destiny of salvation. I want to make sure that we understand how to reach the destiny of salvation. Because I want to make sure that we understand something clearly today. There's a lot of people that think they save. It's not even that they lie about the fact that they save. They just think they save because of the fact that they have been misinformed. What are the requirements? What does salvation really entail? What does it really have to happen? We know that we have to accept Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, but somehow we as believers forget that we have the responsibility to be born again. We forget that we have the responsibility to be changed. We forget that salvation requires a transformation. We, we forget that. And, and the truth is, that's not a gospel that everybody wants to preach. Because of the fact that people want to say, well, I can accept Christ and still be who I am. 
I can accept Christ and still do the same thing that I'm doing. But yet I don't understand why I'm still getting the same results. It's not a coincidence that when the disciples followed Jesus, he said they had to leave everything behind to follow him. The reason is not because he didn't need the things that they had. It was simply because when you bring your baggage into a new relationship, you have a tendency to bring your old problems with you. There are people who, are, who have been married and divorced, married and divorced, and they wonder why can I ever get things right? They wonder why does it seem like nobody is right for me? Could the problem be that you are the variable that's bringing in the baggage from one relationship to another relationship, and because you won't get the help that you need, nothing can be productive? There are people who have jobs that wonder why they can't keep jobs and they think everybody is against them, everybody is hating on them, everybody wants to put them down. Could it be that your bad attitude, your baggage that you're bringing into these new relationships, these new opportunities, this mercy that God has given you? Could it be that this is what's destroying you moving forward in your life? Could it be that this is the thing that's holding you back from doing whatever it is that God is calling you to do. These men, they sit here and they cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me. There's a lot we can learn about this in this text about what it means to be saved. I think sometimes we spend so much time in this text focusing on the healing factor because what eventually happens in this text is that Jesus grants mercy to them. Jesus grants mercy to them and he heals them in such a manner that he allows them to move on from where they are. But I want to talk to you about what does it really require? What do I really have to have in my life to identify that I'm tired of being in the situation I'm in? That I want to see something change. I want to see things happen in my life. And the first thing I want to make sure that you have to ask yourself, this is a question that each of us in this place today, when we leave here, as we sit here today, we have to ask ourselves on this journey, on this road, the first mile marker that we have to come to in our lives is that we have to ask ourselves, have I reached a place of disconnection? That's the first thing that we have to ask ourselves, have I reached the place of disconnection. When we look at the text, we look at the text in, in, in Luke chapter 17, the verses are 11 through 13. The first thing that we've seen that was highlighted, read on the text, it simply says what? While he was going to Jerusalem, passing between Samaria and Galilee, they, he entered a village. This village is a place where 10 lepers have gathered. Why have they gathered there? Because they have been disconnected with their own communities. They've been disconnected with their loved ones. See, oftentimes in our lives, the first thing that leads to change and transformation within our lives is the fact that we feel alone. The fact that we feel that we have no one else to help us, that we have no one else to love us, that we have no one else to provide for us. And that's the best place for us to be as born-again believers because of the fact that God wants us to rest and rely solely on him. It's not a bad thing to be in a place where you feel disconnected and alone. But that's the first time that you have to realize to yourself that maybe I need to look to Jesus instead of Jane or Joseph. Maybe I need to look to my Lord and Savior to supply all of my needs instead of some man or woman to supply some of my needs. 
And so the first thing that we have to ask ourselves is, have I reached the place of disconnection? See, that's the good thing about on a road trip is eventually when you know that you're going somewhere, you have to let go of where you were. I can't get from point A to point B or point A to point C if I don't let go of point A. I have to allow myself to take the journey. I have to allow myself to go through the hardships. And that's where many of us fall short because salvation requires you to disconnect from your old life to embrace your new life. And so many of us fall short in walking forward in our faith because we don't want to let go of who we were. Salvation is not about you can't have fun. Salvation is not about you can't dance. Salvation is not about you can't have friends. But there are some characteristics of who you used to be, the, the liar, the womanizer, the cheater, the stealer, all those things that are not of Christ. You have to be willing to disconnect and disassociate yourself with those things. And so what interferes from me getting from where I am to where God wants me to be is sometimes the fact that I'm not willing to disassociate. The second thing that we come to learn in the text is not only do we define where they are, but he goes on and define their lifestyle by identifying that they're what? Ten lepers. And this is where we have to ask ourselves, not only have I asked myself, have I reached a place where I am disconnected? The second question that we need to ask ourselves when we're identifying if we really are trying to seek salvation is have we reached a place where we're, discom where, where we're discomfort, where we're experiencing discomfort? In other words... Have you reached a place where sin isn't fun anymore? Have you reached a place where things aren't how you want them to be? That's where these lepers were. Not only were they in a village, they had a home. So the problem wasn't that they were homeless. The problem was that they had blisters on their bodies. The problem was they had sores, that they were ill, that they, they didn't feel well, their skin was pale. They, the problem was that they were going through something that they didn't want to go through. And as a result of it, not only were they disconnected, but they reached a place where they were experiencing discomfort. Many of us won't come to Christ until we get to the place of where we're experiencing discomfort. Where I don't feel like finding another man to try to make me feel good only to hurt me again. Where I don't feel like drinking every day to go to sleep and, and I'm tired of feeling depressed. I'm tired of going through the heartache and pain. I, I don't feel like being in another abusive relationship. I don't, I don't feel like having to tell lies just to make myself feel good about myself. We have to reach a place where we are no longer comfortable in the life that we're living. The problem is that many of us never reach that place of discomfort because we make the same mistake that they make. They get in a group together. The worst place for a person who is struggling to be is with other people who are struggling. A crack addict has no business in a crack house. A person that has a sex addiction has no business watching porn. A person that has all of these things going on in their life, you, you, you can't even play with it because what it does is it entices you to stay in that lifestyle. If you know that you have a problem drinking, you don't need to be having no lunch meetings in a bar. Because you're putting yourself in a position that's dangerous for your spiritual growth. 
And what happens is that we don't want to accept the reality is that I'm not strong enough to be in that environment. And so as a result of it, I have to place myself outside of that environment. I have to disconnect because this place is, this com is not comfortable for me. Whenever I'm in this environment, it doesn't, it doesn't feel good for me. I don't like the way it feels. It might, I might feel good doing it, but afterwards I feel horrible. I'm tired of waking up with regret. I need something different. I need something better. And so he shows us not only do you have to reach a place of disconnection, not only do you have to be, reach a place where you've experienced discomfort, but the last thing that he shows us while looking in this verse is that you have to reach a place of discontentment. They cry out to Jesus. I want you to understand. The rule is, if you're a leper, not only do you have to be cast away, but you can't come near anybody. And there's an issue within this text because the Bible says in verse 12, as he entered the village, ten leopard men who stood at a distance, they did what? They came and met him. Now, the rule is, if you're sick and I'm not, stay away from me. They, they understood that. But they said, you know what? Forget that. I'm in a place that I don't want to be anymore. I'm tired of feeling the way I'm feeling. I, I'm not going to wait for Jesus to come to me. I'm going to meet Jesus. Can I help somebody today? Many of us are sitting around, and there's nothing wrong with prayer. Prayer changes things. But many of us are sitting around waiting on Jesus to come to us, and, and Jesus is simply waiting on you to come to him. He's came to us. He's made the sacrifice for us. He's done everything. That's why he says that you have to accept me. You have to embrace me. Jesus is not going to force himself on your situation. You wonder why things hadn't changed. It's not because God doesn't have the power to change it, but you ain't went and knocked on his door and said, God, can you fix this? You ain't went and asked him, can you take this addiction away from me? You had not went and asked him, can you take this problem away from me? God, can you fix my marriage? I'm not talking about you just sitting and saying, oh, I wish God would come make it right. No, God, I'm begging you. I'm tired of going through what I'm going through. I don't want to be here anymore. I need you to fix it. And what that requires is for you to say, you know what? Forget who I am. Let me focus on who you are. Because I know that you have the power to change things in our lives. And so many of us, because we have not reached the place of discomfort, because we have not reached the place of disconnection, because we have not reached the place of discontentment, we have not really began to cry out to God. We hadn't really began to say, God, I need you to fix me. God, I need you to change me. And, and there's something unique that happens here in the text I don't have it on the screen. I don't have it in, on my notes, but I want you to get, grab your Bibles real quickly. Luke chapter 17. I want to read something for you because anytime that you approach God sincerely and you're seeking God to do something for you sincerely, he'll make some things happen. Cam, I know you're looking at me. You're trying to catch it. Luke chapter 17, verse 14 through 16. Luke chapter 17. Verse 14 through 16. This is what it says. Cam's going to get it on the screen for you if you don't have your Bible. This is what it says. When he saw them, he said to them, this is after they've said, Jesus, fix me. Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm jacked up. My life ain't right. Have mercy on me. He, he, they saw them. He saw them. He said to them, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they were going, 
they were what? Cleansed. Verse 15 says, now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. Verse 16, and he fell to his face, and at his feet, giving thanks to him, he was a Samaritan. Now, I need you to understand something. The Samaritans knew that there was supposed to be a Messiah coming, but they had not identified with the Messiah. They were still doing some things the old way. Out of ten leopards, nine of them, ten of them were healed. Nine of them heard Jesus say, hey, go ahead, you're healed. Go show yourself to the priest. Nine of them decided, okay, well, I'm going to go ahead and go on into the city and show myself to the priest. The one of them on the way to the city looked down and seen, as the old saints, he looked at his hands, and his hands were new. He looked at his feet, and his, his feet were new. His skin was new. There was a transformation that happened in his life. And, and because of that transformation that happens in his life, because of that deliverance that happened, that healing that happened in his life, he came back and he surrendered to God and he worshiped him. That's what the text says. The Bible says that he came back, he surrendered to God, and he worshiped him. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say something today. It may blow some of your mind. It may not blow your mind. I don't know, but I really want to help you today. And it's this simple fact. Cam, you can put it on the screen. It simply says this, that healing is not the same as being saved. Being healed is not the same as being saved. Can I, can I show you that in the text? Being healed is not the same as being saved. The ten were healed. Their outside appearance changed. But out of the ten, one of them Inside appearance change. Out of the ten, nine of them were grateful for what he did on the outside. And so this is what they did. He worked on the outside of them, and they went back to where they came from. But the one said, I thank you for what you did on the outside of me. And as a, because of what you did on the outside of me, it has done something on the inside of me. And I don't need to go back where I came from. I just need to be closer to you. This is what the text says. Look at, look at the verse. Cam, give me my next verse on the screen. Uh, verse 17. This is what Jesus said. He goes on and he says what? Then Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? They were clean. They were healed. Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Where are the nine that I blessed with a good job? Where are the nine that I blessed with the woman and the man of their dreams? Where are the nine that I blessed with the finances that they need? Where are the nine that I took the sickness out of their body? Where are the nine that I paid for their children to get to college? Where are the nine? The Bible goes on to say, was no one found who returned to give glory to God? Except this foreigner, the one that shouldn't have came back, came back, the one that everybody overlook. You know what he suggests when he says, except this foreigner, this one came back? He suggests that the other nine were from Galilee. 
The one was from Samaria. We know that he calls them the Samaritan. But the other nine was from Galilee. In other words, they come from a church country. They were raised in the, in the right upbringing. But this is the problem is, those church folks, they were so caught up about themselves that they forgot that everything they do is not about them but about God. He says, out of all of them, did not none, none of them came back to give me glory? How many times have God done something majestic in your life, something miraculous in your life, and you have taken it? We have to be honest. I've done it. We have taken it. We've given, we've given him private thanks for him, but never gave him glory. Never made sure anybody else. Why? Because we took what he did for us, and we, he bailed us out, and we went right back to where we came from. Was not that priest there for you when you had leprosy? Did, not, did that priest heal you? But you're going to go back to this priest. I remember as a kid, I used to get in trouble a lot. I got a lot of whoopings, man. Lord, I probably still got some scars. I got a lot of whoopings. My dad, and he would always take me into the dungeon, his room. His room is in the back of the house. I would get to the dungeon. I would get my whoopings. And I would jump over that king-size bed as if nothing could stop me. I should have probably been a hurdle runner. I, every time I get popped, I'm jumping. I'm, I'm trying to tire him out, getting him from one side to the other. Eventually, he's going to get tired. And I remember that there was a famous statement that happened every time I got a whooping. Mama and Daddy, I'm sorry. I ain't going to do it no more. Every time I went wrong, every time something I did was got me in trouble, my famous statement was, Mama and Daddy, I'm sorry. I ain't going to do it no more. Mama and Daddy, I'm sorry I talked back to the teacher. I ain't going to do it no more. Mom and Dad, I'm sorry I lied. I'm not going to do it anymore. But if I can be totally transparent and honest right now, I would always go back and do it again. Many of us, if we could really just look ourselves in the mirror, we tell God that same lie every day. Every time he gives us a new morning worth of mercy. Every time he gives us a new day full of grace. God, I'm sorry. I ain't going to do it no more. But somewhere along the way, we give in to our sinful nature. God, I'm sorry that I lied. I'm not going to do it no more. God, I'm sorry I committed adultery. I'm not going to do it no more. God, I'm sorry I stole. I'm not going to do it no more. God, I'm sorry I neglected my relationship with you. I'm not going to do it anymore. And we keep telling God that as if he believes us. Can I tell you something? Now that I'm a parent, I knew my daddy knew with every fiber of his body that I was lying. But this is the catch. He wanted to believe that it was true. That's the unique thing about the God that we serve. He knows our heart. But he loves us so much that he wants to believe that it's true. And so we think every day that we're getting away with something. But the truth is, all it is is that we're abusing his love. And the Bible tells that each of us are deal, delivered a, a level of grace, a measure of grace. What you going to do that morning you don't wake up again? What you going to do when you don't get that another chance to say, Mama and Daddy, I'm sorry? My father-in-law was one of the most prolific men in my life. 
next to my dad. I say it all the time. Half the stuff we got for the church we never would have had if it wasn't for him. The grill that we used to cook on came from him. The, de- the truck that I got comes from him. All of the stuff that I had is so much stuff that he has blessed my family with through his passing that I never would have been able to afford. I never would have had that it has helped me take ministry to a whole nother level. I used to complain about this man coming over my house late at night asking my wife to fill out paperwork. Asking him Asking her to do things. I, I would be like, man, why are you coming over here, man? I don't even know you got a husband now. He need to talk to you during the daytime. I, that used to be my, my attitude. But I can't tell you, when that man died, I longed for the nights that he came and knocked on my door. I longed for that opportunity. What did they say? You never miss a good thing until it's gone. The problem is that many of us won't get the opportunity to miss our good thing because we're going to be gone. This is why I want to help people transition from just being healed over and over to being saved. This this is what makes the difference. He comes back, and because of the transformation, he commits and gives himself to God. He commits and gives himself to Christ. And so he makes a decision that, God, I don't just want to use you so that people can like me. God, I don't want to just use you so I can get back to my status of where I used to be. God, I just don't want to use you so that I can have everything that I could possibly ever want. God, I want to utilize you to have the best life that I could possibly have because you're the only one that can provide it. That Samaritan said, you know what, why am I going to talk to a priest that couldn't heal me. Why am I going to spend time with a priest that wouldn't even come and see me? Why am I going to a a priest that wouldn't offer me bread to eat, that priest that told me to get out, I couldn't be around, made no effort to see that my life changed? Why won't I give myself to a God that supply all my needs? bring that to today. Why are we wasting time in relationships that we know are going nowhere? Why are we causing conflicts in our marriages that shouldn't be there? Why are we giving ourselves to people that we shouldn't give ourselves to? Why are we valuing money more than we value the blessings of God? Why are we spending time focusing on all the wrong things? We're so busy chasing the healing that we're missing the salvation. Jesus went through the same process because his location landed him on the cross. Because he landed himself on the cross, his location landed him on the cross, then we began to see his lifestyle on that cross. He was blameless. He didn't do anything wrong. But because he had to bear the cross of the world, what was once blameless was now full of blame. He bared the sins of the world. And on that cross, while he bared the sins of the world, he longed for one thing. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. I had a revelation behind that one statement. For so long, I was so caught up that Jesus was just speaking to the ones who crucified them, that crucified him. 
He was just speaking to the ones who were, who were gambling over his clothes, the ones who was piercing him in the side. But now I realize that when Jesus said on that cross, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. He was not only speaking present tense, he was also speaking future tense. He said, Father, I know Chris is going to apologize to you, but God, I'm asking you to forgive him because he doesn't know what he's going to do. I, I know that he thinks he's doing right all the time, but God, I'm, I'm asking you that. Accept this burden on me. Forgive him because he knows not what he does. In other words, he says, I'm going to be the one that burden accepts the whole burden. In other words, on this road of life, if God had to write a ticket, he said that he would accept the ticket so that we can go free. He said that he would accept the ticket so that we can go free. And we find ourselves in a place, we find ourselves in a position where, where we have to decide, do we come back and say thank you? Or do we just laugh it off and say appreciate you, man, and, and roll off? God is looking for that one. He wants the nine, but he'll accept the one. There's about 20 of us in this room. That's two groups of 10 in this room. And, and the thing of that is, if we say there's 20 of us in the room, 10 groups of, two groups of 10 in this room, statistics will show only one of each group will say yes. But the greatest thing about us being who we are, statistics don't have to rule our lives. Statistics can always be changed. Statistics can always be broken because of the fact that people have the right to make the decision to say yes or no. So you have to ask yourself in this place today, as you travel on this road called life, where am I? Or am I there yet? Am I at the place of salvation? Can I be honest with myself and say, Lord, yes, I know that I'm saved. I know that I'm saved because I've cried out to you. I've given myself to you completely. Why? Because of the fact that I've reached the place of, of discomfort. I've reached the place of, of disconnection. I've reached the place of discontentment. And as a result of that, that I'm determined to say yes to you. I don't just want to be healed. I don't just want you to patch me up. I want to say yes to you so that I can live my life for you and only you. So that means after I say yes, there are some things in my life that are going to change. Or... Are we the ones that say, God, just patch me up. Patch me up and I'll catch you next time. Just patch me up and uh, give me a couple of more years. I, 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 know you, I know you kept me from getting an STD. I know you kept me from having kids out of wedlock. I know you kept me from losing everything I have. But just patch me up. Patch me up, God. And I, I, I'll get back at you. And, and we're willing to do that. We're willing to be disrespectful. We're willing to dishonor God. We're willing to take advantage of his love for us. Because the thing is, he doesn't just want to heal us. He wants to save us. But he heals us in hope that if I do something for you, you're going to do something for me. This is why his word says, for God so loved the world that he gave. I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to give my only begotten son so that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. If I give him, then you just have to believe in him. 
and watch what God can do. God wants to change your life. God wants to make some things happen in your life. You're looking for God to take you to the next level. You're looking for some breakthrough. You're looking to, for some transformation. But I want to tell you, and as much as I love seeing y'all show up on Sunday morning after Sunday, you are wasting your time if you're coming here to learn about God, but you're not willing to leave here dedicated to living for him. You're, you're wasting your time. Don't get me wrong. I love the fact that you sow into the ministry, that you're helping us grow, that you're committed, that you post on Facebook the things that you learn. But if you're coming here learning and not leaving here living, you're not making any growth. And it's because of that, it's not that my preaching ain't good. It's because your living ain't good that things ain't changed. So it's not that you need to go find another church. You just need to change your lifestyle. I don't care who lays hands on you. I don't care who shouts, screams, lays you flat on the altar. I don't, I don't care. The word is the word. And the only way the word works is if you what? Work the word. That's it. So you have to make a decision today. Have I taken notes? Have I taken embedded mentally of everything that he said? And am, am I the one or am I the nine? And to be truthful, the order to be the one, you have to realize that for a long time you have been the nine. Because I'm not talking to some people that don't know Christ. The fact that you're here lets me know that you know Christ. So therefore, if you can honestly say that I have not really given my life to Christ, then you have been one of the nine for your entire lifespan that has just accepted a bunch of healings and not truly salvation. And that's okay. It's okay because as long as you got breath in your body, you can change it now. Let me pray for you. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for the opportunity to come together. We thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to magnify your name. God, we pray that in this place that lives begin to change, transformations begin to happen, that people begin to say yes to your will, yes to your way. God, I pray that this message that you have imparted through me to your people has not fallen on deaf ears, that, Father God, it has found some rich soil, Father God, so that they can build and grow right where they are. God, right now, as every head bows,